Chris, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the uh, Tony Larusa, the most recent Tony Larusa situation, but for those of our listeners who are not, last week or maybe just the other day, time just goes by so oddly these days. Um, but that's not even the point of my rant, Chris. Uh, Tony Larusa has a reliever in the game, Bennett Sousa. Uh, he's facing Trey Turner. Uh, Sousa goes ahead 0-2 in the count with a runner on first base, but then throws a wild pitch, which allows the runner to advance to second, at which point Tony LaRussa calls for an intentional walk with a 1-2 and two count. If you follow baseball, certainly you've heard about this, and it's just the latest example of Tony LaRussa not being worthy of managing this really fun Chicago White Sox team. They're a great team full of young, exciting players, and they're being managed by this absolute dinosaur who was progressive in the 80s and just refused to progress since, and now the game has totally passed him by. But the craziest thing is that when people ask him after the game, this was the first time in baseball history, I believe, that a runner has ever, or that a batter has ever been intentionally walked with a 1-2 and two count. The first time in baseball history, because everyone knows no matter what the matchup, no matter who's on deck or anything like that, you've got a better chance of getting a guy out when you've already got two strikes on him than with a fresh count. But Tony LaRusso was like, didn't get that people thought it was a weird decision. In his press conference after the game, I'm going to quote Joe Binder, which may just be Joe Biden, from SoxOn35th.com, a uh, White Sox website. He says, the White Sox skipper not only seems surprised, but also visibly aggravated by the questions and began firing back on at media members. He explained the matchup and then said, does anybody in this room really think that even with the count, we should have gone to Turner? No chance. Like, he is so arrogant about one of the dumbest decisions in baseball history. A child could tell you not to intentionally walk a guy when you already have two strikes on him fire tony larusa free tim anderson free the white Sox, and uh please good god let this team be fun and speaking of dumb decisions you're listening to a new episode of high floor low ceiling positive but i should have known. <laughs> do you think i'm a negative person griffin welcome Not- to high floor listening by the way this is the podcast hflc <laughs> you what do you think about my personality i am a big fan of your personality i hope that that's been well established but you're uh, you're a big fan of uh cutting things a, a lot of it is self-deprecating i think that's mm-hmm. why you're involved in this podcast so you're gonna take digs at it um, you're involved um, I don't know what that is. Welcome to High Floor Low Ceiling. Bit of a cold open there, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess we always do a cold open, but a cold, a, a cold double intro. cold intro. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, we don't really have self deprecating Chris, you do any, know what uh, Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. That being said, do we have anything to talk about at the top of the episode, Griffin? Uh, uh, nothing new going I on with had. you. Do you think that HFLC should like that should s- shut down? No, no, God no. This is all I have. But um, do you think it should like be a word? Like we should start saying folk. Uh, I feel like instead of it's... HFLC, it has no vowels, so that's a problem. It ha- 
that's definitely, I'd say, priority number one, especially for the English language, is for a word to have a vowel in. But I feel like if you say it too quickly or not clearly enough, then you start to, it sounds like a, a curse, a cuss. A folk. A folk. Oh, right. Well, you we see, because there's a popular swear word. I don't ah, know if you know this. But... One of those. <laughs> one of the most used, I would argue. Um, Griffin, we've got to talk about it. <laughs> the same. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's the biggest story in the biggest sports they're doing the finals right now in now both of these sports so what can we do but talk about it we are hamstrung by the hockey and basketball industrial complex it's true chris uh we got a lot on the show today uh we got two different finals to talk about like you said and then after the break we're going to be talking you teased it last week we're going to be talking uh the new adam sandler netflix movie uh what do you think of that what do you think of maybe teasing what we have on the show i just thought i'd throw that out there (laughs) do you think people are more inclined to stick around now i do think that it says what we're doing in the episode title and description well that's very that's very kind of you um No, I, th- I feel like that's more of a radio thing where it's like, hey, don't don't change sure. that dial. But it's like the Coming podcast. Up. You downloaded it. You can pause it right now. Yeah. You can pick it up later. You don't have to. You don't have to miss any of it. Yeah, and I would encourage you to just go ahead and do that right now. Actually, pause it and yeah, come uh, back. We yeah, can tell you're not ready. Some point. <laughs> yeah, you'll get it when you're older. Uh, Griffin, <laughs> you the want NBA... them to come back several years from now. <laughs> yeah, just leave it in your downloads. Uh, you know phones these days so much storage you know true ipods ipads i don't know anymore tell your older uh, friends though to listen <laughs> sure tell your tell a grown-up in your life <laughs> <laughs> what if it came out that our whole audience was like eight-year-olds who just like were well, trying to expand their vocabulary or whatever chris now i know you're just tempting me uh, to uh, go look at the stats to go look at this i believe our stats are pretty well uh, spread in terms of age range um, but it's going to take my seven-year-old laptop a couple minutes to load this up. So let's just uh, say that it's all it's all well-spread. We've got lots of listeners from lots of different age ranges, and we're thankful for you all. Absolutely. As soon as you, I assume, opened the browser window, your Zoom video began to chug uh, oh, yeah. quite substantially. So probably for the best. Uh, but if we have any young listeners, I will say, I, I think you should be at least 12, right? To listen to HFLC unless you're with a parent. Oh yeah, if you're if you're under twelve, just make sure that you and your parent each have a headphone. Um, mm-hmm. And once you've hit twelve, this is or you know in the gravy. car. True, you're driving. Remember when to... people used to? Uh, maybe this was just a thing at my local middle school, but when people used to like, they'd both be listening to the same song, and you'd uh, have each person would have one headphone in, and they would call it sure. bipoding. I always thought that was very mm-hmm. clever. I have not heard bipoding. Happy Pride, by the way, to everyone. Happy Pride to everyone out there. That's that's our Pride content. Bipod. Yeah. This is something of a bipod. Um, Griffin, the NBA Finals. That took me a second. That was clever. Um, the NBA Finals, Griffin. We watched Game 5 last night. Uh, well, Warriors we did. now up. We did sure. together. I was... It's true. I, I would love that if you would ever be interested in hanging out. <sighs> well, you know, we see so much of each other as it is. It's true. <laughs> I mean, I 
I see you. You're top five, I'd say. <laughs> we literally haven't seen each other in months. That just We're looking at each me. other right now. Right. We're smiling. We're happy. We are smiling. We are happy. <laughs> Both of us, separ- I assume, I don't know whether you uh, watched after the fact or what exactly, uh, how your watching went down, but the Golden State Warriors, they, w- they did it again. They won a game. They uh, 104-94 the final, now up 3-2 in the series, coming back to Boston, trying to close out this finals. And Griffin, you know, after game three, with Boston up 2-1, people were really starting to write off the Warriors. And I feel like more so than pretty much any other finals I can remember, even last year, because I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, that the Suns went up 2-0. And, you know, people were talking about the failings of the Bucks at that point, certainly. But I feel like more than any other final series I can remember, the narratives of the most recent game have so dictated the way that people like perceive the series to be going. Yeah, and I think that's because coming into it, like there were so many different ways that this series could go. And uh, to get a little cross-board, I think this is also going to be a very similar thing when we talk about the Stanley Cup final coming up in a few minutes because this series is so close and it's been a pretty good series so far I think but yeah when you've got this series like this that's neck and neck between two great teams and you don't know who's gonna win we're so weak as humans to recency (laughs) bias like we're just like the Warriors won two games in a row they'll never lose again um I don't know I still I definitely uh think that we are too weak to the recency bias even in non-competitive series but yeah when it's a close good series like this i think it really just dominates our thoughts yeah and it was to be fair after after game three it was hard to be i think because a like you said they are two very similar teams in terms of overall team quality i think and also because they seem to play a very similar way like it's not like you can say like oh the Celtics just straight up win on matchups and things like that like they just play a certain style that uh Golden State can't stop they are very similar teams as well so it's just like if one team just looks better then maybe it's easier to say that that team is like you know if it's two similar teams and one is better as it seems then why wouldn't you pick that team? And I think after those three games, Boston did just look better. Yeah, even the Warriors' win was sort of... Oh, no, I'm getting mixed up. It was the Celtics' win, their first win, that was a uh, sort of come-from-behind thing. So scratch all of that. <laughs> you like to you, just, you just keep going. No, I had my turn. I, I failed. I stumbled. So you get you get another turn to talk. Sure. Um. But game five, the Celtics, a bit of a, so it was sort of a, a the script was flipped uh, compared to the previous few games because for a while this series, it was for some reason, for whatever reason, the Golden State Warriors were dominating the third quarter. And then with this one, you had the Warriors jumping out to an early lead, a pretty substantial early lead. They give it up in the third quarter. And then, in my opinion, you know, they scored 20 points, but in my opinion, the Celtics like kind of collapsed in the fourth quarter. How did you feel about their overall performance, you know, giving up that run? They, it really seemed like they just couldn't string any momentum together. And then you have, you know, people talk about the threes a lot, but these are teams where if their threes aren't falling, they really struggle to create consistent offense, it seems like. 
Yeah, and that's just welcome to the 2020s in the NBA, I feel like. But I do think that if you're a Boston Celtics fan, you've got to be looking at last night as a big missed opportunity. Like, you went down early, and then you fought all the way back. And even on the road, like that moment when the Celtics took the lead in the third quarter for the first time, you had the classic, like, Warriors called timeout. You had all the guys, like, hyping each other up in the huddle, the Celtics guys. It really seemed in that moment like the game had swung, and it had gone Boston's way, and they were going to get two chances, one at home, to win the championship and I think that the fact that the Warriors were able to shake that off and swing that momentum back around the other way like I don't think it's the death knell in the series I think that Boston's still got a good chance and I would certainly pick them in game six but um I do think that if you're a Celtics fan you got to be thinking that was like a big big chance for us yeah I I do I know what you mean like that that really should have been the game because they like that should be the one you win because they shut down Curry. I thought they did a really good job on Curry, even though, you know, like Mike Breen said, like, oh, Curry's getting some good looks, but I didn't really see them giving up a ton of good looks. He was 0 for 9 from 3, which I think is the record for the worst, like, three point shooting Jeez. performance in a final, which is kind of funny and ironic. But, um, and then, of course, Andrew Wiggins, the hero, 26 points, 13 rebounds, but really, like, I, in terms of just like between the lines sort of like normal gameplay i thought boston maybe played better but then it's 18 turnovers and 21 of 31 from the free throw line that really just destroyed them like that's really that's the whole game it's like a minus 12 turnover differential and you miss 10 free throws in a game you lost by 10. Yeah, it's the turnovers have been a thing for, I think that's dictated the Celtics all playoffs has been them taking care of the ball. But like you bring up a great point, Chris, in that you lost the Steph Curry off game. Like he wasn't going to have seven games of 40 points just because no one does. But like you, if you're Boston, this was the game you were waiting for. He finally had an off night after he's played very, very well throughout most of the series and you couldn't win that game, like, that's just another reason that you got to look at last night. It's like, oh, what a Golden State opportunity for Boston. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious, Griffin, because from the way I saw it, I it's hard to put blame on one player, but I really felt like Marcus Smart kind of, like, single-handedly really hurt their momentum in the fourth quarter. Like, he had... You know, he had the technical called on him. He had the offense, I think maybe two offensive fouls in the fourth quarter. He really, and, you know, he was all over the floor. Like, he would, like, I mean, let's just say it, flopping. Um, He was flopping a lot. He was, like, creating offensive opportunities for the Warriors by hitting the ground so easily when it's, like, you're the defensive player of the year. You're supposed to be the best, like one of the best one-on-one defenders straight up. So why are you hitting the deck and then like creating opportunities when you don't get the foul call? He had a great offensive game. He had 20 points, seven of 15 shooting, but then it felt like he really hurt the Celtics ability to build up some momentum in the fourth. Yeah. And I think you have just sort of very well encapsulated the Marcus Smart experience like you live you live and die by the stuff that he does the flopping the getting on the floor sometimes it's great and then like when it's when when the momentum is with him I can only imagine how much that must 
get your teammates going, seeing him out there doing his thing. But when the game is slipping away from you, like you said, and he's out there doing that kind of thing, like it must, it's just so frustrating to watch. So he's such a like mercurial player. But yeah, you live by it and you die by it. And I think the Celtics, he's such an important part of their team, both emotionally and tactically. And he really, like you said, Chris, did not come through for them last night. And is a big, yeah, I think you got to look at him as a big reason why that game sort of slipped away from them. Yeah. And maybe it's just a case of like, well, like he can't really turn it off because I do think some element of it was like they weren't getting the most favorable whistle. There weren't a ton of foul calls. There was an offensive foul call where uh, I don't remember the exact play, but I feel like he did like maybe like a, a shoulder bump or like a, a swing through uh, when he was like on the perimeter and got called for the offensive foul. That was a pretty weak foul. So, you know, there is a bit of that at play as well. But then, you know, if the whistle isn't favoring you, then the solution is probably not to like start flopping and try and draw a call, especially because, you know, you have Tatum getting called for offensive fouls, being guarded by Wiggins. You have him getting called for travels and things like that. Like it did seem like they were more liable to call those offensive turnovers than they might otherwise be. And speaking of Andrew Wiggins, because you know he did have a great game, twenty six points, thirteen rebounds. Like we mentioned, I <laughs> really enjoyed. He had like a sort of like cross key hook shot that I really enjoyed <laughs> uh, in the fourth quarter. But what? is confusing to me, and I want to see if you agree or disagree here. People have started talking about him as a finals MVP candidate. And you're looking at me with big eyes. Uh, Let me just pull up the stats here just so I have them. But, like, you know, Curry had an off game, a really off game for sure. He's still at 30.6 points per game. Wiggins has now moved into second on the Warriors in scoring at 18.4 points. Clay's at 18, and then Wiggins has the nine rebounds as well. That's the big sort of point for him. And then the other point in his favor is he's guarding Jason Tatum. He's doing a really good job against him one-on-one. He's really limiting the Celtics' interior chances from their wings. Do you think that there's a case to be made here? You know, let's say Curry has another mediocre game and Wiggins has another really strong game offensively is there a case there at all do you think well like you said chris when we were discussing finals mvp a couple weeks ago you hate that this precedent is there now but the precedent is in the andre iguodala finals mvp where so yeah i would see the case for andrew wiggins if steph had played like he played in game five in two or three games but the fact is that that was the first real slip up that he's had all series so as it stands right now I think that I would be shocked if the Warriors win and Steph does not win finals MVP. Um, I think Steph would have to play poorly in both games six and seven t- for Wiggins to uh, really have the uh, good shot at that award. But if Steph plays poorly in games six and seven, I think it's pretty unlikely that the Warriors even win the championship. So I don't really see a path to finals MVP for Andrew Wiggins as great as he has been playing. And yet, like you say, he's really done a great job of making Jason Tatum not irrelevant in this series, but he's minimized him for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think like, you know, even if assuming that they do win game six, he's still going to have like, it's still going to be like a 10 points per game discrepancy. Curry was the leading scorer in like the first four games. So I I agree. Like I, I was like, this has to be... You know, we talked about one game dictating a narrative there. And, like, you know, 
literally game four, everyone was talking about how Curry had like an all-time classic performance, a great performance, one of his best finals performances ever. And now it's like Andrew Wiggins because he had like 26 points or whatever. Um, Speaking of the game six and the relative probabilities there, because things have seemed relatively evenly matched so far, uh, this is, of course, the first time either team has won two straight games. Is this going to seven, Griffin, or is Golden State going to close it out on the road, as I believe has happened pretty often in recent finals history? I'll get that information for us, but is this going seven, or is Golden State going to close it out here with, the, with this uh, newfound momentum? Uh, Yeah, I personally, if I were to put money on the game, I would put money on Boston uh, in game six, and I, without checking, I would imagine they're probably the favorites. Going back to Boston, where Clay, we know, is very uncomfortable with the vulgarity of the crowd. <laughs> uh, sorry, I just had to clutch my pearls for a moment there. Um, but, yeah, I think that going back to Boston, Clay, and it is game six, so game six, Clay, but. I think that the Celtics will be inspired by their crowd. They are a really good team. I still don't really think that we've seen the best of the Boston Celtics in this series, Chris. I don't know about you. There have been flashes of it for sure, but I still think that there's another gear that they can reach. And I I mean, I think that even though they're a young team, they're very well coached. And I think in a do or die atmosphere, as they've done a few times in this playoffs now, they will be able to pull their socks up and just as long as it doesn't get to crunch time for them, as long as they can maintain a 10-point or so lead, uh, hopefully they'll be all right there. So, yeah, I think that this game, that this series is going seven, and then from there, anyone's guess. Game seven, anything can happen, Chris. You know the old adage. Famously, of course. Yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying. Definitely, I, you know, on one hand, you can say that we haven't seen the best of the Celtics. On the other you know, it's like game one where they had the 12 point win, like without Tatum playing well, you know, I guess you could say that they could have that game plus Tatum also plays well. And then that like <laughs> turns it into a blow maybe, but like other than I think Tatum is really what we're talking about here, right? Yeah. Where we yeah. haven't seen the best of Tatum. He had a, a pretty good game last night, 27 points on 10 of 20 shooting, 10 rebounds, four assists. That's a good game. But then, two of six from the free throw line was really Jeez. strange. And like, yeah, he missed two straight free throws uh, on like a, a trip to the line in the fourth quarter. Like it's weird that he, because he was always the guy in his rookie year where it was like, this guy loves to show up in the playoffs. And do, do you think it is just a case of the warriors defending him? Well, that he has sort of uh, faltered a little bit in the finals. Yeah, I do think that it's mostly been the Warriors taking it away from him. He's been really well defended by Andrew Wiggins, and Steve Kerr's defensive schemes, I think, are just designed to really make life uncomfortable for him, and you can see it for the most part when he's out there, that they're constantly they're throwing other guys at him, they're pressuring him, and it's really making it difficult for him to get to his like mid-range spot that he likes to get to and, like, they're not letting him get comfortable at all, and they've really done a good job of, like I said before, not taking him out of the series, but minimizing him in the series. Yeah, making him look a little more mortal for sure. Um, this is just just one last thing that I was sort of thinking about. Do you think that B 
because Tatum is like he's he's more of an outside inside guy. I think it's fair to say, like he he won't like be slashing to the rim in the way that other players might. Do you think that because you know people talk a lot about big men and how much big man and low post game is sort of relevant in today's day and age, but do you feel like a lack of interior scoring uh, for both teams really has affected the way that these finals have played out because it like, you know, without the consistency on the interior, either from a guard or a wing or from, you know, a big who can post up and stuff. Do you think that that lack of consistency is maybe what has made the team so inconsistent? (laughs) I mean, yeah, as much as the game has evolved away from that sort of thing for the most part, it is still a very reliable way to get a quality chance at two points to get it down to a big guy in low. And like we've seen Robert Williams probably not being able to play the minutes that Ime Udoka would like to play him because he's limited by injury. We've seen Steve Kerr like not really knowing, I think, when exactly he wants to use Kevon Looney. Not not that either of those guys are really phenomenal scorers, but they are both good big men and their team's best big men, unless you count Draymond Green. Um, so, yeah, I do think that that is having an impact and just jump shots are less likely to go in than close to the basket bank shots, uh, no matter how good shooters are today. So it is interesting to see that this uh, series, which has sort of like alternated teams looking good like as the uh, jump shots fall so yeah i do think you're really onto something there yeah and especially like boston's shooting 41 percent from three like they it's not like their shots aren't going down but then it seems like you know people talk about defense tightening up in the playoffs but i think especially in the fourth quarter defense will really tighten up um and I think that's sort of maybe what we've seen in terms of the Celtics sometimes having difficulty closing, especially like if the threes aren't falling, if they can't create transition opportunities, then like it seemed like their only sort of source of offense was like Jalen Brown line drive and probably draw a foul and like get free throws. And that really seemed to be like their only way to create like consistent half court offense in, in crunch time. Do you agree? <laughs> I do agree. I do agree. Sometimes Chrissy just said so well. I have nothing to. Uh, I just. I'm like, yeah, that's an excellent observation. That's very uh, kind of you to say. Uh, perhaps then we should move on to the other final, which will, you know, if you're listening to this the day that it comes out, it will be happening tonight. Ooh. Game one. I'm really excited. <laughs> I mean, Me like too. My, it's it's no secret that my hockey fandom has sort of accelerated over the course of this season um so i am i'm i'm quite excited about this final it's a really good matchup the stanley cup final the lightning and the avalanche uh i mean it's this i don't think we did we didn't do nhl predictions before the playoffs started but like this would kind of be where you would lean or what would you sort of expect going into the playoffs right yeah it's sort of the I think even though the Panthers were the President's Trophy winners, I do think that this is the two best teams and one in each conference. And it's, I mean, it's a great story, whichever way you look at it. We've got the potential dynasty of the Tampa Bay Lightning, the young guns who have been right there for the last couple of years in the Colorado Colorado Avalanche. It's uh, the the old kings versus the new upstarts i mean it's it's my favorite storyline in sports it's lewis hamilton max verstappen it's steph curry Mm -hmm. lebron james like we see it all the time 
It's great. Uh, Chris, this is something that I heard on a couple podcasts this morning. You may have heard this already, but did you know that this is only the second final in North American sports history where neither team's name ends with the letter S? Wow, that is fascinating stuff, Griffin. And I know at least one of them if you were going to quiz me. I was going to ask you if you know the first, but I had a feeling you would know. This is the second time? I believe so. Okay, because my mind instantly went to the 2012 NBA Finals. There it is. The Thunder and the Heat. And this is uh, round two. Wow. And it's sort of a similar uh, storyline. I guess The King you know, the and Heat. the Upstarts, yeah. Yeah, I guess LeBron hadn't won a championship at that point, so it's a little different, but, you know, yeah, same that's idea. True. That's true. Um, Griffin, the, what I've been sort of thinking about, because, like, I feel like, you know, like you said, the storyline is very clear. I think it's sort of like it is talent versus experience to to a large extent. Like not that Tampa doesn't have a very talented roster, especially if they are getting Braden Point back, as they uh, seem to be hinting at at some point this series that he will return. But it it is that you know Colorado. We've talked many times about how they are sort of overwhelmingly talented, and then the Lightning are sort of the the guys who've been there before. So I've been sort of thinking about the road leading up to this. And the one thing I wanted to ask you, just to to stoke a fire in you, was were the Toronto Maple Leafs the third best team in these playoffs? Because <laughs> I think there's a legitimate case to be made. I, I think probably you'd say Tier 1, Colorado, and Tampa. And then Tier 2 would be like uh, the Rangers, the Hurricanes, the Oilers, the Flames, and the Leafs. Like some combination of those five teams yeah i mean i lie awake staring at the ceiling wondering (laughs) the same thing chris i with all due respect to the new york rangers who i i think i would put them as the other team with the leafs in this conversation but personally i feel that the Leafs were better than both the oilers and the flames and certainly put up better showings in the series in which they were eliminated the flames never really put up a great showing in either of their series, to be honest. And Calgary and Edmonton, sort of by merit of that weird Eastern Conference final, never really looked amazing either. Whereas the Leafs looked like they were better than Tampa, and then Tampa has dominated everyone else. So I do think that, Chris, before we get into the Stanley Cup final, I think the Leafs <laughs> were the third best team in the playoffs, and they had to play the either second best or best team in the playoffs in the first round. Yeah, I think... I think I'm pretty much there, but also, like, when I sort of created this hypothetical in my mind, I was, like, I was imagining what a Leafs-Oilers playoff series would look like, and I'm like, oh, maybe the Oilers just, like, totally dominate them in the way that they dominated the Flames and just, like, put up five goals on them every game. I don't think so. I think that the Leafs... I think the Leafs pretty easily handle... I mean, honestly, another team that I would throw up there is the St. Louis Blues. Mm, I think that they had to face a really tough first-round opponent in the Minnesota Wild. Like, those were two really good teams in the Western Conference. That was sort of the Leafs' lightning of the Western Conference first round. And then they gave Colorado certainly a much tougher run than Edmonton did. So I think that, I mean, like, it definitely permutates based on the different head-to-head matchup. Like, I'm not sure if I used permutates correctly. Maybe I did. But, uh... There are different permutations, certainly. Yeah, it oscillates based on the different <laughs> sure. head-to-head matchup. Maybe the Leafs would beat the Flames, but the Leafs wouldn't beat the Oilers, but the Oilers would beat the Flames. Right, a bit of a rock, paper, scissors. Exactly, but I do think that 
as much as we'll never know for sure, it would be Leafs, Rangers, Blues in my next tier. And wow. I certainly think that the Leafs would beat the Rangers in a seven-game series and probably the Blues, too. I think they probably beat those teams, but then maybe it's the Oilers that they don't stack up as well against. Because I do feel like, with Toronto especially, like if, if they like were getting overwhelmed, and I think we do maybe underrate a little bit how good the Oilers were, especially against the Flames, and even Fair. against the Avalanche to some extent. You know, They almost had the flip-flop where the, they... They beat the Flames in five, even though the Flames played them really well. And I thought they played the Avalanche pretty well in most of the games. And then you factor in, like, the dry sidle injury and things like that. And obviously that, that shifts the balance a little bit. But at any rate, Griffin, the Stanley Cup final, um, that, that talent versus experience sort of matchup, how much stock are you putting in experience specifically in playing in a Stanley Cup final and winning a Stanley Cup final versus just the overall nebulous idea of playoff experience. Because at this point, the Avalanche are a pretty experienced team. Yeah, Chris, I mean, I know that the Cup final, like, there's probably a bit more butterflies if you've never been there before, but that's got to last. Especially the goalies and their what? stances. Ah! More butterflies. Classic hockey humor there for you. <laughs> um... <laughs> I figured that's got to last, what, like three shifts for each player before they just figure, oh yeah, it's hockey. So I know that playoff hockey is different, but I can't imagine that Stanley Cup hockey is that much different from conference final hockey. I do think that they're probably more tired than they've ever been before in their careers, Mm -hmm. and I have to imagine that some of those Lightning guys are starting to feel the miles a little bit of three straight Stanley Cup final runs. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. as the series goes on. But I do think that, like like you said, the Avalanche are certainly playoff experienced, and I think that that'll be enough. I, I don't know if that means the Avalanche will win, but I do know that I think that it won't make the difference. Yeah, and, you know, to that end, I do feel like you have to then, you know, if, if experience isn't as big a factor as it might be, maybe, you know, going against a team like the Rangers, who hasn't really been there before with this group as much. If you're taking that out of the equation, then I feel like you do have to take Colorado just because, you know, we've we've talked for this whole playoffs about how they seem to have the best team on paper. Is there, do you think, an argument to be made for Tampa? You know, like either being close to the same level or maybe even being better on paper um, and then, you know, if, if the answer is no pretty clearly, which I would <laughs> grant you, then, you know, what does Braden Point change the equation at all for you? Yeah, I think over the playoffs, Chris, we've sort of established that you uh, quite clearly view Colorado as the, most, as the best on-paper team, and, like, you sort of view this Tampa Bay team as, like, a little step down uh, from the last couple of years, and I still don't know if I can get behind that. Like, this Tampa Bay team is so, so good. They've got such great talent. I think that Victor Hedman, I know Kale McCarr gets the flash this year, but I think Victor Hedman's the best defenseman in the NHL. I think Tampa Bay has a massive goaltending advantage. Sure, um, yeah. Absolutely. That is not a bold take from me, <laughs> uh, but I think that we all know what Andre Vasilevsky's capable of. We don't really know what Darcy Kemper is uh, capable of in a Stanley Cup final. And I think that the top-end forward talent is right there for the Lightning, especially if Braden Point does come back. 
Um, so I, I do think that this series is very close on paper. Like both teams are talent. They got talent coming out the wazoo. Uh, and I do think that, uh, I'm going to take personally the Tampa Bay lightning to win. the Wow. Stanley Cup. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you, you could be right. I'm probably not giving the lightning as much credit as I might, because, you know, there was a lot of talk against the Rangers, the line with Anthony Sorelli how good that line was at sort of like neutralizing uh, like a, a top forward line and things like that. So if they could sort of deploy that and maybe neutralize Miko Ranton a little bit or even neutralize Nathan McKinnon a little bit, then maybe that is a difference maker as well. You know, I and I guess the depth, you know, you're talking about people like Ross Colton and Patrick Maroon and Nick Paul and Corey Perry versus a Comfer or a Helm or a New Hook, you know, those are in the same ballpark. I think you can grant them. Um, I do think that if you're looking at defensive pairings, that Colorado does have a huge advantage there, you know, because I do think that McCarr and Taves is like about as good of a defensive pairing as you can get. And then you have Bowen Byram, who's been a huge game changer in the playoffs. You have Eric Johnson as like maybe your third pairing, and I think I just think that, you know, other than Mikhail Sergachev maybe scoring two goals in a game, <laughs> that they just have that. That's maybe where the advantage is. But then you're right that uh, Tampa does have that big goal tingling advantage as well. So you're taking the Lightning. Are is this? It's it would probably follow that this would be a close series. I think right. Yeah, I think. I mean, I'm so excited for this series. I think it's going to be an excellent, excellent series. Uh, so I'm certainly hoping for at least six games of this. I, 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 I'll, I'll say seven. I'll predicting in seven always feels sort of funny, but yeah, I'll make that my official prediction. The Tampa Bay lightning win in game seven. Okay. We will lock that in. I, you know, it's weird because and maybe it's just because these teams are so good. But when you look at their opponents, you're like, well, neither of them really... I guess the Lightning did play the Leafs in round one, but it's like, neither of them really played an amazing team. And maybe that just sort of retroactively happens because the Oilers got swept and because the Rangers sort of fell apart towards the end, that those teams don't feel as strong now as they maybe did a few weeks ago. But it will be interesting to see how they match up now that it's like a super-duper top team against a super-duper top team. I yep. do think I have to give Colorado the advantage still, especially if Nazem Kadri can come back. I think that that will be a huge difference maker for them. And then I think you can start talking about you know, Colorado's third line against Tampa's third line having a big advantage there. But I think I do have to go with Colorado, and I'm going to say in six games. So we will put an HFLC point on the line for that one, a Braden point. Uh, One thing I will say, Chris, if you just look at goaltending, to get here, Tampa Bay had to play Jack Campbell, who had a great series. Uh, They had to play Sergei Bobrovsky, who's a great goalie, and they had to play uh, Ilya Shesterkin, Shesterkin, who's... Igor Shosturkin, who's uh, probably the best goalie, had the best season of any goalie in the NHL. And then on the other side, uh, the Avalanche played the Predators with no UC Saros. They just, like, cycled through backup goalies. And then they played a series in which Jordan Bennington got hurt. And then they played Mike Smith. Like, I 
don't think that and now they have to run into Andre Vasilevsky so I do think that the Avalanche are sort of in for a wake-up call where they face these goalies who I mean no disrespect to them they're NHL goalies but they are certainly not on Vasilevsky's caliber whereas the Lightning have gotten trained against some really good goalies in this playoffs yeah and you know conversely I do think that you could say like Colorado has had to play against some really strong offensive teams whereas Tampa maybe not as much especially in the conference final but very true I I think it will be an interesting matchup I think you know I wouldn't be surprised if Tampa wins certainly I have like you said sort of gone on the record as saying I do think Colorado has the best overall team but you know like Nazem Kadri being out does change the calculus a little bit and I I think it will be a very entertaining final regardless Uh, so we will look forward to that very much we will take a quick break and we'll be back to talk some hustle baby and welcome back to high floor low ceiling griffin we we famously teased it at the top of the episode we teased it last week even uh we are going to talk a little bit of sorry i just got distracted by a weird hyperlink in the wikipedia article for this uh <laughs> this film we're going to talk about a new sports film we love our sports movies uh and we're going to talk about a new sports film that has entered into our lives on the netflix platform it stars your hated adam sandler i don't hate adam sandler i think that he could do better you said he's lazy which is just not true <laughs> he makes so many movies that uh, doesn't mean he's not lazy <laughs> We're talking about Hustle, directed by Jeremiah Zager, which I think I think he is. This is his first feature. I was going to say, are we that, talking a feature uh, film debut here? Because I knew I had never heard of him. But yeah, Chris, I love when we talked movies. Are when we talked uh, Home Team, when we did our sports mm-hmm. movie Oscars. Those are two of my favorite segments that we've ever done. And so I, especially the Home Team one, was a lot of fun. Um, I was sort of disappointed in Hustle because it was not bad. Like, Home Team was bad. This movie was perfectly fine, I thought, mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. I, I enjoyed watching it. Uh, but I did, I sort of resolved to nitpick it like it was a bad movie, because I thought that that would make for better content. Sure. Um, you loved your little uh, nitpick CinemaSins type beat. I, I was uh, an avid CinemaSins viewer for many years. Uh, back, back, when, back in, like, high school. Like let's Sure, say. sure, yeah. Back before they, uh, they sold out. Oh, interesting. You know, I think uh, I think we do both agree that well, maybe uh, maybe that method of analysis isn't the best way to maybe consume or enjoy a movie. It might be the best way to talk about a movie on a podcast. Yeah, I think it's a good way to be funny about a movie on a podcast. I hope I'll be funny. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, Chris, do you want to hit us with a brief plot summary for Hustle, just for those who uh, might not want to spend two hours watching? watching it but still want to follow along with our segment sure uh i of course famously wrote the wikipedia plot summary for this movie uh as (laughs) griffin recently discovered uh from me telling him so (laughs) the film follows stanley sugarman who is played by adam sandler great name. not to interrupt you right off the bat weird name why is his name stanley sugarman in this i movie? believe this is a reference because as you know i participated in the hustle bustle so i've watched several films starring adam sandler in the past couple of weeks and i think that there is also a character named sugarman 
in that. Yes, Brian Sugarman, who is played by the movie's director, Mike Binder. I read an article by Joe Binder in The Rant. Maybe they're related. Wow. Great stuff. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if that is something... Sorry, what you know, movie is the other Sugarman? Rain movie? Over Me. I Rain see. Over Me, uh, Brian Sugarman appears. He is like a friend of Adam Sandler's character. All right. Um, so they maybe also spell Sugar of... with an E, which weirded me out every time I okay. saw it in writing. Oh, they do. Interesting. Uh, at any rate, he works for the Philadelphia 76ers. One notable thing about this movie that I do want to talk about is that like... It features a real NBA team, it features a, the real NBA, and then a ton of players making cameos or, you know, having roles in it even, in the case of Juancho Hernan Gomez and Anthony Edwards and such. Um, he is a scout, he travels around, like, Europe and Asia looking for players for the 76ers, he wants to be a coach, uh, he gets promoted to coach by the owner... Uh, but then the owner dies, and his fail son takes over, who demotes him back to being a scout. Adam Sandler just randomly happens upon this player, Bo Cruz, who is like a streetball player. Truly uh, randomly. Yeah, totally by accident. He's go He goes there to scout another player, but, at, but finds himself at another pickup game where he sees this amazing guy, Bo Cruz, and he's like, I gotta figure out what this guy's deal is. Uh, Bo Cruz is a construction worker, he has a child, he was supposed to go play in America, but it never happened for him, and so now he's just a construction worker. Uh, Adam Sandler brings him to the United States, the Sixers don't want to draft him or sign him, and so Stanley quits, and he puts all of his energy into uh, getting Bo ready for the NBA draft combine. Uh, Bo is very talented, but he also has these issues where he can sort of be thrown off his game by trash talk, like from Kermit Wiltz, uh, <laughs> played by Anthony Edwards. But of course, as you can probably predict, they sort of train him up. He becomes great. Uh, they sort of build this fan interest behind him with this viral video challenge, the Boa challenge, to uh, get him into the draft combine. And then he sort of fails again. But then he gets this one last chance, and he finally shows what he can do. And the movie ends with uh, the fail son gets ousted. Uh, Stanley Sugarman becomes a uh, assistant coach for Doc Rivers on the Sixers, and Bo Cruz gets either drafted or signed, which I do want to talk about by the Celtics. Yeah, and like we said, it is a perfectly nice fun movie especially if you're like into the nba if you follow the nba you're gonna enjoy watching this movie there's a lot of fun cameos my favorite cameo was probably seth curry who i don't think ever actually speaks a word but is just standing next to adam sandler for like several minutes and then just leaves uh so <laughs> i hope that seth curry uh really got his and gets like high that. billing yeah yeah Maybe like it's... a name credit um, Maybe it's an alphabetical order thing, but at any rate. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, Trey Young, Chris Middleton. Uh, there's a great Kyle Lowry bit in there for uh, Raptors fans. Yeah, there's several uh, uh, Raptors point cards, which we will get to. Um, oh, Raptors point right. Cards. Uh, LeBron James and his business partner, Maverick Carter, produced the movie. Adam Sandler produced the movie. It's good. It's pretty good. Sandler's fine. Uh, but, Chris, I want to start this off with a segment 
since there are so many notable NBA cameos, I want to call this segment Yikes or Nice. Uh, and that is just based on NBA people and their performances trying mm-hmm. to be actors in this movie. So yikes is if you gave maybe a bit of a bad performance. And a nice is for a surprisingly good performance. And we're going to start it off, Chris. Think uh, I did not prep you on this, so I don't know if you are going to have any off the top of your head. But I'm going to start it off with a yikes. And unfortunately for Raptors fans, it's Kyle Lowry picking Ooh. up a yikes in his performance uh it's only like one line or two lines i think but it is yes i believe he says come on bro it's clunky he's not comfortable (laughs) saying come on bro uh it is a bit clunky for sure of course kyle lowry the philly connection is uh i think the reason that he yeah he's just hanging out with the sixers in the whole movie like neither the heat or the raptors are ever mentioned he's always just hanging out with a bunch of sixers players so i guess yeah him and matisse thibel are like really good friends in this um yeah i mean a nice i think well i'll sort of talk about the principal performances because i think wancho hernan gomez as Bo cruz i think he's really good yeah he he's a nice for sure like a surprisingly good performance from him yeah everyone is talking about anthony edwards as kermit wilts which is i think just like a great performance yeah like, i was gonna say by far my biggest nice of the movie yeah. anthony edwards was really good in this movie like he's as this really character. good he's like just like a, a, he's a natural villain which i sort of feel like translates to the court as well like he just loves like you know the trash talk and sort of showing people up and showing off what he's got so it, i think it's he's really good uh following in the line of great anthony edwards actors along with the guy that plays goose uh in top gun who's also named anthony edwards Anyways. I'll take your word for it. Um, we all know Boban Marjanovic can act. We loved him in John Wick Three, uh, <laughs> yeah. but he, he was a he was a nice. I think like you know he there's a nice, certain sure. there's a certain uh, not mystique but a certain air about European players where they're just sort of like naturally funny. Uh, yeah, they just talk because it's like from yeah, <laughs> there's like a there's like a fish out of water uh, a bit of that. A vibe there and so there's just especially a, a when of, they're like seven foot five yeah like boban martyanovich i don't think of him as a european i think of him as an alien from a different planet <laughs> uh said with love and respect of course of course um my last Chris middleton sorry go ahead he well he was he was in the middle for me he was inoffensive but he didn't warrant it nice i'm calling him a soft I, yikes um my last nice gotta say it like that every time goes actually to someone who had a sizable role kenny the jet smith i thought was quite Mm. good in this movie a man who whose like legal name i am incapable of saying i cannot just call him kenny smith he is kenny the jet smith Uh, i thought he played an agent in this movie um it was not until he had been in several scenes that i realized he was not playing kenny the jet smith because so many people are playing themselves in this movie and then at one point he's like Yo, Stan, meet me in Spain. I'm talking to a client. And I'm like, Kenny, <laughs> Kenny Smith has clients? Who are Kenny Smith? Turner? Clients. And then, yes. and then he calls him, like, Leon. And I'm like, oh, he's not playing. He's, like, the only NBA person not playing himself in this movie besides Juancho Hernan Gomez. Uh, a couple and of Anthony the- Edwards. And Anthony Edwards, yeah. So uh, universal nice for the guys who weren't playing themselves. And you got to wonder mm-hmm. if that's why they were picked. A couple of quick yikes i got to give out, though. Uh... Luka Doncic he only has one line <laughs> sure. and it's like 
it's like he wasn't even there like he filmed it on his phone it's just like he's on twitter but it is a heavy yikes he is yeah it's not... like there's this is a world where like luka Doncic does like reaction videos yeah. <laughs> on that he posts on facebook and he's yeah. like wow this is crazy man check out bo cruz yeah it is not good and then also i was very surprised but i gotta give a yikes to ernie johnson he had a couple lines that i thought were very wooden considering that ernie is about the most polished broadcaster you can find you mm-hmm. i was surprised that he really i thought sort of did not seem super comfortable being in the movie no i think you're i think you're absolutely right also uh i will just because uh, i'm looking at the list right now um i would give a yikes to brad stevens <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> it's like we really need him in boston um very soft spoilers spoilers for the film stevens. i will say um Doc Rivers, I thought it was very natural with Adam Sandler. Yeah, they uh, they really saved Doc until like Doc was like a big <laughs> cameo in this movie. They even like showed him like from the shoulders down. It, they showed him to the point where I thought that they couldn't actually get him. I was like, oh, they just right. got some disembodied head playing Doc, and then they panned up and it was Doc, and I was like, so why wasn't he in the whole yeah, movie? There's not there's not too many of those like disembodied heads where a player like just sort of either gets mentioned or doesn't even get mentioned. But the two big ones are we never see Joel Embiid. No. Uh, there's talk that the fail son played by the great Ben Foster uh, wants to trade Embiid. <laughs> and like everyone realizes like, that's so stupid. Uh, the other thing I noticed is that it's like, they're talking about the Sixers in near the beginning of the movie. It's like the Sixers Embiid Harris, Maxi, it's like where's James Harden? Yeah. Oh, very interesting. I wonder if he was. I would imagine he was not a Sixer when they made this movie. No, um, I think they filmed it at the towards the start of the season because if you look at the, I, I kept a keen eye just because I'm curious about these sorts of things. For sure. The Celtics footage because you know they show the the uh, Sixers playing the Celtics is how the movie ends. And you see, like, Ennis Freedom was on the Celtics. Obviously, Wancho Hearn Gomez started the season on the Celtics and played, like, about 20 games. Yeah. Um, it looked like so it might have been, like, a preseason like... game. Like, the yeah. Celtics, I, I think, were wearing sense, their yeah. preseason uniforms. But, yeah, no Joel Embiid was very noticeable and surprising, considering just everything we know about Joel Embiid. Yeah, he's a natural. Um, but, yeah, a couple of other things I just wanted to get through. Notes that I took as the uh, movie was going on. Uh, first thing we get, like, I would say, Chris, upwards of 90% of this movie is montages. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it's a lot of montage. <laughs> the first one is there... of Adam Sandler, like, going around the world looking for players. He goes to, like, China, Japan, a bunch of different European countries. My first question, does this scout cover every country in the world besides the United States? As far as I'm aware, in the scouting process, someone is generally assigned a region, and then they build connections in that region. You'll have a European scout, you'll have an Asian scout. But Adam Sandler, he's a rover. He's so good at scouting that they just send him everywhere in the world. Well, you know, he's he's Eurasian, I think it's fair to say. And also, we know that he's like one of the best scouts there is. Very true. Uh, he, you know, he was down on, of course, Haas, played by Mo Wagner. Yeah, uh, a, a nice. Uh, I'd give Mo Wagner a nice. Sure. I yeah, I'm not sure if he speaks, but. A small role, yes. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, Europe and Asia, those are sort of similar. Like, maybe he uh, he started in Turkey and sort of just expanded his influence both east and west. <laughs> started, very smart of him to start with that. Sort <laughs> I'm of sort of thinking of it pot. as. 
I'm thinking of it as like a risk or a civilization type strategy where you, you start in to Turkey. Bring up risk on this podcast. That might be true. Uh, and then sort of expand your influence outwards. But I can see that. Europe and Asia, you know, he's not in Australia. He's not in South America. We, we, we only see him, I think, in Europe and Asia. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Uh, next one. Can we call the son Jason Kidd? Because um, he looks exactly like Jason Kidd. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I have my own take on who, because, you know, there's the dad who is, like, beloved by everyone. Like, he, he's the owner of the 76ers, but he's also kind of the general, he's a Jerry Jones type. Yeah, I don't think um, we've mentioned, he's played by Robert Duvall. That's true. Crazy get for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a small role, but I agree, crazy get. Um, but I have a, you know, and obviously he has his son who is sort of headstrong and a little foolish, doesn't really listen to more experienced uh, advice. I think, and because it's the 76ers, this is directly mirroring Jerry and Brian Colangelo. You do, I, I hadn't thought of that at the time, but that certainly would track. Um, because like they have, like, they don't like those guys. They're happy to throw those guys under the bus. And then you have the the old man father who's universally respected by everyone and you know is a legend of the business and then you have his son who's like so stupid (laughs) very fair the jason kid in this movie that's why i'm calling the son would certainly have Mm -hmm. burner accounts i had not picked up on that on the time chris but i think you are spot on that that that's just my theory the calangelos especially because it's philly specifically um yeah uh so yeah we're I, i know that we're running a bit long here well, not quite yet, but we will. So I'm going to try and rapid fire a couple of these. Uh, sure. In the first two minutes, we have product placement for both Wendy's and Burger King, and then also KFC like two minutes later. I can't believe none of those companies got an exclusivity clause in their product placement. Uh, he loves his fast food. Yeah, it's and speaking of theme. which, a lot of this movie's comedy is fat jokes against Adam Sandler, considering he's just like, a normal guy in normal shape for a 54 year old man. Like he's not fat in this movie, but every, like every character keeps making fun of him for being fat. He was a college basketball player. True. Uh, but you know, he, Queen Latifah was ostensibly a a track star in college and he doesn't make any fat jokes against her. Of course we, we know what happened. Uh, she would really uh, put him down quick, I think. Yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, I think Queen I think... Latifah thought she was in, like, especially in the first half, I think she thought she was in, like, a, a normal Adam Sandler movie and was just, like, playing the wife in an Adam Sandler movie. And then right. in the second half, uh, she uh, sort of was like, oh, this is kind of different. I love Queen Latifah. Oh, I mean... yeah. I, I thought she was good in this. Um, yeah, I had the same note as you, Chris. Embiid, Maxi Harris, Haas, weird line. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, they slander Andrea Bargnani at one point. I'm not here for that. Uh, that's like supposed to be one of Adam Sandler's big misses is that he was high on Andrea Bargnani. Yeah, uh, to in today's up. day and age, Andrea Bargnani would be an all-star. I can't talk about this. <laughs> because you agree so strongly. <laughs> yeah, what if Christoph Porzingis was even worse at defense? That's <laughs> Andrea Bargnani. Less athletic. Yeah. Um, I do think that like the guy... There's a disagreement where they're like, you, he, Adam Sandler's like, I don't like Haas. And then uh, Jason Kidd is like, you didn't like Bargnani. But all of the things that Adam Sandler is criticizing Haas for are the exact same things that Andrea Bargnani got criticized for. So it's weird that 
they would now be on opposite sides of the argument. Uh, Robert Duvall tells Adam Sandler that he hired him because he never took anybody's shit. He's like, that's why you got hired. And so somehow that translates to being hired as a scout. Um, <laughs> that makes no sense You're to me. Really, uh, how really does that translate line by line. to being a good scout? Like maybe you make like a good strength and conditioning coach if you never take anyone's shit. But an international scout? It's like, hey, what do you think of uh, this kid's ability to read NBA-level defensive rotations? I don't know. All I know is that if you're rude to me on the plane, I'm not going to take your shit. I don't take anybody's shit. Uh, they do immediately rectify this one scene later when Robert Duvall uh, makes him an assistant coach, and that was clearly the plan all along, but I did just want to put in that joke there. Um, <laughs> okay. Robert Duvall, I think, one of the most dead characters while still being alive in movie history. <laughs> Very clearly. <laughs> One of the most killed, I think you're absolutely right about. Jason um, Kidd. Uh, at one point, one thing that's weird about this movie is they talk, Anthony Edwards' character, Kermit, is always talked about as being the consensus number two pick. And mm-hmm. they've got some consensus number one pick, whose name I don't even remember, because they get brought up once as like a lock for the number one pick and then get never mentioned or shown again. And that was I don't even know if me. I don't even know if they give his name. I think the reason is like... Basically, like, the idea is he's a high pick, but also, like, if you were the number one pick, then you wouldn't even show up. And they do mention, like, it's weird that the number two pick is showing up, but he is sort of trying to elevate himself all the way up to number one. Yeah, it's not weird to me that Anthony Edwards' character is the number two pick. It's just, like, it's weird to me that they never even, like, bring up, like, we never even meet the consensus number one pick. But I guess we wouldn't really have to. Uh, There's talk of Jason Kidd wanting to trade Joel Embiid uh, to move up to the number one pick, but he has to package Joel Embiid with a pick from the Sacramento Kings. We know that's going to be a high pick because the Sacramento Kings are never good. Joel Embiid alone is not enough to get the number one overall pick. Well, that's we don't crazy know who, uh, We don't know who he's trading with. Maybe he's trying to get LeBron James or something. No, he's trying to get the number one overall pick. But Oh, but we don't know how good this consensus number one pick is. I see what you're saying. Well, and, and also just like, you know, we could, you know, there could be other, you have to make salaries match, Griffin. There's so many other uh, things that I've go into. You can't just trade Joel Embiid for the number one pick straight up. I think you probably could. Uh, <laughs> you, you find a way to make that work. Uh, there's a scene <laughs> sure. where, you know, the, Chris, the hilarious scene with the Google Translate where Adam Sandler tells Bo Cruz that he's a fantasy for guys like him, but he doesn't even explain that he's an NBA scout beforehand. Bo Cruz follows that up by getting off the bus, uh, and Adam Sandler wants to follow him off the bus, but truly has some of like the worst reaction time that I've ever seen in any movie. Bo Cruz pulls the stop. They're sitting like right across the aisle from each other. Bo Cruz pulls the stop, stands up, waits for the doors to open. The doors open. Bo Cruz steps off. The doors close. And then after the doors close, Adam Sandler's like, wait, no, and stands up and takes one step to get to the doors. And there's like, oh, he got away. Um, (laughs) After having like 15 solid seconds to be like, oh, he's clearly getting off this bus. And then somehow finds him again anyway. Like he loses Bo Cruz. He into the night. We see Bo Cruz walk away. The bus pulls away. Adam Sandler is still on the bus, and then the next scene is Adam Sandler just finding Bo Cruz where he lives. That was very weird to me. Um, He's a smart guy. I have yeah. uh Up next, we gotta have a quick Abla Calderon segment. Uh, Jose <laughs> sure, Calderon yes. makes an appearance in this movie, as well as former Raptors assistant coach Sergio Scario. Scariolo. Scariolo. Uh, 
Abla Calderon. He was great. A big nice for Jose. Uh, mm-hmm. There's yeah, Bo Cruz is a Spanish player, so uh, he gets a workout with a couple Spanish basketball legends. Juancho Hernan Gomez's brother. Willie Hernan Gomez is there playing himself, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, big shout out to Jose, uh, an Oscar in his future, I think. Definitely. Um, <laughs> Adam Sandler makes Bo Cruz run up a hill at like four in the morning every morning. It's a big moment in this scene, or it's mm-hmm. a big moment in the movie. It's something mm-hmm. that they work towards, but he's also like honking the horn and yelling at him at four in the morning. This is a residential street. Uh, pretty terrible thing to sure do it's a residential street. <laughs> it looks like a residential street to me at least um i i could go either way yeah right. he doesn't honk too much okay fair uh we address <laughs> the fat jokes um at one point i know i said that this movie is 90 minute is 90 percent montage at one point there is an uninterrupted seven and a half minute training montage i so checked good. when it starts and i checked when it ends it is just like Bo Cruz working out for seven and a half minutes. So Where good. who edited this movie? It's so good. Was I was it? so happy. I was like, yes, he's getting better. Holy when shit. when they hit six minutes of montage, they were like, we really need this extra ninety seconds. We can't just cut one shot of him doing the the whip. Chain. That's what's so good. It's like it's like two back to back montages. It's like. <laughs> The he's starting the training montage, and it's the he's getting really good montage. In the and same there's like, montage. There's like, because they're like, there are two songs. That's so good. They do a back to back super montage. It's so good. It's ambitious to say the least. Um, this is a pet peeve that I have in every movie, but uh, this movie commits it, but it's not solely on this movie. Uh, Adam Sandler texts Kenny the Jet Smith, and it's the first text he has ever sent him, according to right. his phone. They're like best friends. They've been college. They were college teammates. They've known each other for thirty years. It's the first text as soon as he sends it. That's we yeah. Just this put, happens like, some in uh, dumb like filler texts above. Yeah, but that's in that everything. happens in in Top Gun Maverick as well. When uh, Maverick texts Iceman, it's the first text he has, or he receives a text, uh, and it's the first text he's ever received. <laughs> and also. Uh, he is in his phone as ice, which I like. <laughs> that is great. Um, just a couple more here. Uh, Queen Latifah tells the story of how her and Adam Sandler met. Uh, they had to share a bus away from a game. Adam sat next. Adam Sandler sat next to her in silence for three hours, and then at the end said, "One day I'm going to marry you, and we're going to have very athletic babies. Uh, if that happened in real life, you would call the police." Uh, you would not fall in love with that person. That's a terrible how they met story. He sat silently next to her for three hours and then said, I'm going to marry you. Um, come on. Come on. It's Adam Sandler. It's true. He's very charming. Uh, you know, then, I, I certainly, I, I, I see your point here, but, you know, I, I, think, I think I would be charmed if Adam Sandler said that to me. Fair, fair. But then would you be, like, would you, like, I'm going to... I'm gonna track that guy down. I wanna. I wanna. I don't think date. they like immediately went and got married like the next day. I think it was more of a process. But this is uh, their first encounter. I mean, it's just weird to use your icebreaker three hours in. That's sure. all I'm saying. Uh, there's the climax takes place at like this private game that a bunch of NBA players are at, and at one point they're all warming up while Bo Cruz is taking uh, his like putting his shoes on and stuff, and there's like a lot of swish sounds, and then Jordan Clarkson pulls up to take a three 
uh, just in warm up, and there's a very clear like clunk sound as he hits the rim. <laughs> that was very funny to me. That everyone else, you don't even see the ball, so everyone else in post got a swish, and Jordan Clarkson got a loud <laughs> clunk. Uh, I don't know what well, he did you know, to piss off the sound mess, guy. Sometimes you mess. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, last note, big waste of Heidi Gardner in this movie. She is one of my favorite SNL cast members right now, and she's in, like, two scenes and doesn't really get any funny lines. And is good. Like, yeah, she plays she's her sort character of, fine, but squandered She seems to be set up as, like, almost a love interest before you know that he has, like, a wife and daughter. Yeah, yeah. Because she is, like, the one person. She plays Jason Kidd's sister, yeah um and she is like the person who is like smart and sympathetic to adam sandler and like all this stuff so it's, i was like oh like she's gonna keep popping up there's gonna be some kind of connection there um but no she shows up and then she disappears for yeah, the whole yeah. movie she was then... also she was both set up as a love interest and as someone who would be in the movie and she was neither of those things That's true. uh but yeah overall it's really nice i liked the themes of like father and son stuff uh mm-hmm. the 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 tattoo the oak at tree. the end yeah oh because he said earlier this is big spoilers this is emotional yeah, spoilers wow. he said that one arm is one arm is covered in tattoos because those are all for his mother and daughter and one arm is empty because that's for his father his father was never in his life and then at the end he's got an oak tree which is what his mother called adam sandler to him on the side that was empty for his father it's very yeah. sweet before that, I was going to ask you if that if this movie was a bit of a rom-com between Stan and Bo. Because uh, oh, I definitely it, think it there were moments is. of that. But now it's a father-son thing. so I think it's a bit of both. I, I really liked this. I mean, like, it is very... It's very by the numbers, is what I will say. Yeah, it's but, not like you have to go seek it out. But if you're looking for something to watch, you could do a lot worse. Yeah, I think if you like sports movies, there's a really good chance you will like this one. If you like Adam Sandler, there's a really good chance you'll like this. Um, yeah, just uh, I. If you're a big fan of Juancho Hernan Gomez, you'll love. <laughs> sure, absolutely. He looks fantastic in the in this movie. Um, yeah, I mean, as you sort of disproved Griffin, but I think I would say about this movie is like there's not a lot to really dislike. No, I mean my nitpicks, I mostly did for the sake of trying to be yes, funny for on the, the sake pod. Of podcast. Yes, uh, I I did really like it. There's one thing where uh, they get Julius Irving. Mm-hmm. He's sort of like a background character in the movie, um, and. At one point, they're like, oh, man, we can't, like, no one will give Bo a chance. So here's what we'll do. Oh, uh, we saw Julius Irving go viral earlier in the movie. Let's get Bo to go viral, and then people will let him into the combine and stuff. Mm -hmm. So they do this thing where they uh, offer, they go to a street court, and they offer people money if they can score on Bo. But they get Julius Irving to, like, introduce it. But then... Which is awesome, and, like, everyone's like, holy crap, that's Dr. J. Uh, But then, like, he didn't, like, have to do it at all, because then right after he says, hey, everyone, this is Bo, Adam Sandler's just like, and we'll give you money if you can score on him, and everyone's like, okay, I I just would have done that anyway. He's, he's, you know, he's he's there to build the initial hype, and then Bo sort of takes, he, he gets people to pay attention. And then Bo sort of takes it from there, I think, is the idea. Um, Griffin. One thing I really liked, that Bo is a defense-first guy. That was fun. Yeah, that was really fun. I, I love love some defense uh, from from a movie player. It's like how uh, in the mo- in the film All the Right Moves, Tom Cruise. It's it's like a young Tom Cruise movie, and instead of being like the star quarterback, he's a defensive back, uh, which I always admire. Yeah, that is fun. Uh, we must end the show, Griffin. But, but before, just before we, do, we do, didn't you say that oh, you want to talk about him ending up on the Celtics? Uh, 
Did I? Yeah, you said whether he was drafted or signed or. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, just do you do you think that Bo Cruz is getting drafted? Given what we saw from the movie, I don't um, think he's. I mean, I think he's there's virtually no chance as he like goes a in the viral first round. sensation. Sure, yeah. Like it's, and like, I don't think he can go in the first round. You know, there's too many question marks about him. He hasn't played professional basketball at like any level yeah, at all. <laughs> but do you think that is a team taking his chance of the second rounder on him? I think based on the raw tools that you saw and the fact that Brad Stevens was so impressed by him at the private game. Yeah, I think you're taking a second round flyer on Bo Cruz. Okay, so he went like 57th overall to the Celtics. Exactly, yeah. I think. Okay. And I think that's going to work out well for them. Yeah, and if I like I know that anything that's... about the NBA career of Juancho Hernan Gomez. <laughs> sure. I, I do like that they sort of like, they didn't try and make it like ridiculous. How like, oh, he's going first overall now because he beat Kermit Wiltz. Yeah. Um, that, you know, it's still in the realm of real, realism to some extent. Uh, Griffin, before we go, I have some late breaking news that I just want to get your quick reactions on. Uh, Ross Atkins has announced that Hunjin Ryu will undergo elbow surgery and miss the remainder of the season. Oh, that is tough for Hyunjin. I, I love him as a guy based on what I have heard around the team. He's really a great leader for young pitchers and stuff like that so i know him and alec Manor are very good friends so i feel bad for him i've loved him as a blue jay i loved him as a dodger uh i do think that ross stripling can handle being the fifth starter maybe the blue jays if like ross stripling doesn't quite have it uh will go out and grab someone at the deadline but i think for now ryu had been like we saw him struggle to close last year and then we saw him struggle to start this year which was a moment of like sort of like Uh uh-oh, like this was not just a one-year thing. So hopefully this will be good for him. He can have an entire season and off-season to recover and rest and rehab, and like he's not a power pitcher, so hopefully he can still come back good next year and what I believe will be the last year of his contract. Uh, But it it certainly hurts the Blue Jays this year because when he is doing the things he can do, he's a great, great pitcher, but I think for now Stripling can certainly handle that fifth starter role, which is what Ryu basically was at this point. Yeah, I do think it's a, it's a bit of a blessing in disguise. As much as I do like Ryu, he really did not really seem to have it. Uh, pretty much, you know, he was really solid, like, especially the first half of his first year in Toronto. And, you know, like, he was in Cy Young contention and things like that. But yeah, Like, his first year in Toronto was the COVID-shortened season, but he was a Cy Young nominee. Like, Yeah, he finished third, crazily. Um, you know... It's it's never as much as I loved him, especially that one year with the Dodgers where he had like a 1.0 ERA for like a lot of the season and stuff. Um, it's he, He's never really quite put it together. And so I think this is probably ultimately for the best for him, especially if he can come back and give them something next year. Yeah, and I mean, this is huge for Ross Stripling, who now has the yeah. chance to be a starting pitcher. And I believe this is his contract year. So uh, yes, I a big opportunity right. for Stripling there, but it is like I, as we say, it's obviously awful when someone gets injured. But like Ryu was someone who, if he underperformed, you couldn't really put in the bullpen. Stripling is someone yeah. who, if he underperforms, you can put him back in the bullpen and go get another starter. So it is like it. It's not nice, obviously, but it is like if like Ross Stripling's flexibility is still nice yes. to have there. Yeah, I I get what you're saying for sure. Uh, that is going to do it for today's episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. Uh, I'm going to have to check after the edit, but this might be challenging our uh, longest episode ever. Hustle brings uh, 
we brought our talking mouths out. Uh, thank you all for listening. Enjoy the finals. I'm sure that you know by the time we come back, Griffin, there will be a, a crowned NBA champion. Jeez, and yeah. we will have a pretty good sense of uh, what's going on with the Stanley Cup finals as well. So everyone look forward to that. Thank you for listening. You can follow Griffin at GriffinPorter97 on Twitter. You can follow myself at CHouseandJan on Twitter. You can follow the podcast. Griffin had a great tweet about Connor McDavid uh, the other day that you can go check out at HFLC Podcast. Uh, of course, listen to Got the Runs and Bevy of Bevies. Uh, anything else to add, Griffin? Uh, no, I think that's everything. I hope you guys liked this episode. If you like we're looking for ideas of stuff to do in the summer once basketball and hockey end. So if you like us talking about movies, let us know because there's a lot of great sports movies mm-hmm. out there that we could do sort of this style deep dive on. I have a lot of fun doing them. So uh, yeah, let us know. Hit us up. Tweet us. Message us. Absolutely hit us up. Uh, but until next time, please keep your floors high and your ceilings low. <laughs>